can declare and decree this morning that emphatically, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's a lot of things in this world that I'm not certain about, but I promise you help is on the way. Amen. It matters not a bit what you drug in here, the troubles that you are facing, the difficulties in your life, because one way or the other, help is on the way. He's either going to help us now or he's going to help us later, but help is heading our direction for those of us who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I think he's worthy of some praise in this house. Why don't you go ahead and welcome in the King of Glory. Thank you, Father, for having a plan for our life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You could be seated in his presence if you're able to this morning. Glory to God. Welcome, Promise of Victory. Thank you for being here. There's a mass exodus happening up to the youth departments in the back. Praise God for young people in the Lord's house. They need to be in the Lord's house. This generation needs the Lord. Somebody say amen. So I have been preaching a series that I have titled, I'm Better Than This. Mm -hmm. And beginning this week and to the end of this series... I'm going to be approaching subjects that are very definitive. Areas of our lives that we need to shore up, that we need to take care of. Areas of our lives that we need to, as believers, be better than this. So I'm going to be talking about very specific. Beginning this morning, I'm going to take a topic uh, a point of interest that the Spirit has led me to, and we're going to define and, and overcome some areas that are, I'm just going to go ahead and say, respected sins in the house of the Lord. Things that we overlook as Christians because they don't seem to be as bad as adultery or drug addiction or homosexuality or abortions and all these things that we like to stand on our soapboxes about. And let's be honest, when we get on our soapboxes in the house of God, it's usually because that's somebody else's sin and not mine. We, we normally like to point out what's wrong with everybody else because it's easy when I don't suffer from their maladies. When I don't have to overcome what it is they overcome, then, you know, I, I don't deal with, in Pentecostal churches very often, the sin of gluttony. Because we've just decided we're not going to talk about that in the house of the Lord. We're going to beat on the drunks and the skunks and the punks, but we're not going to talk about things like jealousy. We're not going to talk about things like a critical spirit and a bad attitude. We're not going to talk about things like not treating our wives right as men of God. We're not going to talk about those things. We're, we're going to talk about the lesbians and the gay guys, and we're going to talk about the drug addicts, and we're going to talk about all the th stuff that we don't suffer with. And we're going to point fingers at them and tell them how wrong they are and point out all of their problems, but we're not going to deal with the respected sins. I'm going to start this morning growing us up a bit. We're, we're going to deal with some sins that we need to overcome that have been too long in the house of God, just not talked about and not dealt with. I'm going to start this morning in Ruth chapter 1. Some of y'all are like, there's a baby Ruth in the Bible? No, not a baby Ruth. A full grown-up Ruth. She's in your Old Testament. She's only four chapters long, but I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of good preaching in the book of Ruth. Hidden in those four chapters, I read Ruth probably once every four months. There is so much good preaching in there. Matter of fact, I might stay in the book of Ruth for the next uh, few weeks in some of these topics that we're going to be dealing with. Hidden in those four chapters, there's a dramatic story about loss and raw emotions and the story of redemption is in there. And more importantly than anything else, God's provision. We find God's provision thrown all through those four chapters. But this morning I'm going to start with Ruth chapter 1 and I'm going to begin with verse 1. We're going to tell a story this morning of Ruth and more importantly her mother-in-law, Naomi. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine 
came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. Stop right there. He left Bethlehem. He went to Moab. He took his whole family. He was running away from a famine. There was lack in God's house. So he went to the world looking for a supply. I wish I had time to preach just on that this morning, but that's not, what I'm, that's not my topic. I just wanted to drop that nugget in your spirit. When God's house has a famine, folks have to run to the world looking for stuff. That's why we're supposed to have the answers to the world's needs when they come into the house of God. So, so keep that in your mind. He took his family, went down to Moab. Verse 2 says, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Uh, it's easy to backslide and get settled. Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. That's bad. Somebody say that's bad. Uh, and bad sometimes gets worse. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah. The other married a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. Somebody say, now it's worse. Mm -hmm. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. I don't have time to get into this, but you have to know in those days, that's, bad. that's real bad. It's, it's bad to lose people. It's even worse when you're a woman. In Bible days, she couldn't go out and get a job at Walmart as a greeter. She was not able to take care of herself because now her finances have been cut off. Not only has she lost her husband, but both of her sons, which the responsibility would have passed to them once her husband was dead to take care of her, but now they've both died. So now she is destitute as well as in mourning. Just to set the frame for you. Verse 6, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Jump down to verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they got back to God's house, when they got back to Bethlehem, they heard a rumor that God had blessed his people again, so they came back to God. But when they got there, the entire town was excited by their arrival. They asked the question, is it really Naomi? Verse 20, Naomi says, don't call me that. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I'm going to read that part again for emphasis. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? I didn't see anywhere in this scripture where the Bible says God told them to leave Bethlehem. I didn't see anywhere in this scripture while, while they were gone, God was the one who killed her husband. I don't see anywhere in this scripture where God was the reason her sons was dead. And yet somehow, after spending ten years away from God, this woman has turned her tragedy into the blame game. I've come this morning to speak to the blame game because we have gotten in this generation very excited about passing the buck we've gotten in this generation very excited about being able to blame other folks for the way we are acting right now we have gotten very very dogmatic about how I'm not to blame for the way I talk the way I act the way I respond it's somebody else's fault and this is the perfect example that I have brought to you this morning because 10 years ago, there was a famine. 10 years ago, Naomi's husband 
took their whole family and run from God's house down to Moab, which is not only taking them away from their people, but also took them away from the place of worship. During those ten years, bad stuff happened to their family. Can I tell you that if you spend ten years away from God, bad stuff's going to find you? Can, can I just drop that into your spirit this morning before I go any farther? That if you decide to take your ball and go home and run away from God for a decade, don't expect good fortune to find you. Expect bad things to happen when you get out from under the covering of God's protection and His Holy Spirit. Bad things happen to her family. I'm not diminishing her pain. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. As far as we know, it was her only children. I'm not trying to say that she was not a, in a bad place. But the problem is, when she came back, she blamed all of it on God. She passed the blame away from herself, away from her husband, away from the enemy, and placed it on God. The one person who didn't do anything to her. The only family she has left are two daughters-in-law. And they are both from Moab. Neither of them are Israelites. So when Naomi found out that the famine back at God's house was over, she decided to go back home. And she was going to go there and live out the rest of her days and die at home. One of the daughters-in-law decided to stay in Moab. Naomi tried to get both of them to stay in Moab. But Ruth decided, wherever you go, I go. Your people will be my people. Your God will become my God. But when she got back home, we are faced with the truth that bad things happening to Naomi has left her bitter and broken. Bad things happen. And they happen to everybody. When she enters the city gates of Bethlehem, she is met with excitement. People are glad to see her. They are staring and they're commenting and they're, they're remembering Naomi from 10 years ago. See, when folks don't see you for a while, they remember the, the way you were when they last saw you, but they don't realize that you've come through a mighty long way since then. Sometimes that's a good memory and sometimes that's not so good memory, but folks will remember you from the way that they knew you back then. When she come, they came and said, Naomi has came back home. Now, Naomi's name in the Bible means pleasant. Naomi, translated from the Hebrew, means pleasant. However, she's not feeling that way. Her name was supposed to bless her throughout her life, give her a sunny disposition. However, after living away from God for 10 years, she's not feeling very pleasant. And she stops everybody in town from calling her that, and they told she told them, I have given myself a new name. I'm, I'm preaching already. If you're waiting on me to warm up, I'm already there. I'm, I'm going to teach you a thing this morning more than I'm going to shout and dance all over this stage. She said, I have given myself a new name. Don't call me pleasant because life hasn't been pleasant Call me Mara, which means bitter. In other words, I have given myself the identity of all the bad things that has happened to me. I have allowed the tough times and the terrible circumstances and all the hurt I have went through define not only who I am right now, but how I'm going to always be from this point going forward. And you and I both know folks that have done the exact same thing. Bad things happened. Bad things fell. Bad circumstances erupted. However, they are still to this day bitter about what happened in their life. They still let what happened impact their life today and it's just as real right now as it was 19 years ago when it first happened. And in many ways, they have never moved past their wounds. You and I both know folks that are still living in the past. 
He left her 30 years ago and she's still blaming him for the way she lived. She's a hoarder, can't get rid of nothing. She's angry and cantankerous. Can't nobody stand to be around her longer than 10 or 15 minutes. Her own kids don't want to come see her and she blames the husband who walked out on her 30 years ago. I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not trying to justify what he did. But what I'm trying to tell you is she ain't moved since 1987. She's lived in that same hurt. She's lived in that house of pain that she built for herself and she blames everybody else for her being stagnant. I have come looking for a devil this morning to run out of somebody's life because you're better than this. You're better than what happened to you. You're better than your past pain. Hey, everybody in this room knows what it's like to hurt. Everybody in this room has suffered. Everybody in this room has been abandoned and neglected. But you're better than what happened to you. Move on, child of God, and go somewhere. And the thing I want to point out to you this morning before I move on is this. She called herself bitter. But read the story. Nobody else ever did. Nobody else ever called her, her Mara. If you read the rest of the three chapters, when they called her, they called her Naomi. The people she came home to refused to join her pity party. Oh, I'm about to hurt somebody's feelings right here with this one statement. Because Naomi came home and said, don't call me pleasant. You don't know what happened to me. Bad stuff happened to me. And all the people that she's talking to are looking at her like they didn't just live through 10 years of famine. All of the people she's complaining to about how bad her existence was, her experience was, they all are looking down at her saying, Hey, I watched my grandpa starve to death. I watched everybody in this town lose their crops and their jobs. Some people are homeless today because of the famine. I about lost my mind, and I refuse to join your pity party because my life has been tough as well, but I decided I was just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep on living. I wish somebody in this church that knows what I'm talking about would give God some praise. Oh yeah, bad stuff happened over in my house too, but I decided to keep on living. Bad stuff happened at the Mitchum uh, uh, Hacienda as well, but we just kept on going to church. Our marriage wasn't always perfect either, but we kept on serving the Lord. Our kids didn't always do what we told them to do either, but we just kept on coming to church. See, some bad stuff happened over on our side too. So don't come around here trying to blame everybody else. For how you feel. Because I'm going to look you dead in the eye and tell you, bad stuff happened over here too. And I ain't trying to change my name to bitter. So, so she had lost a husband. But to them, she was still Naomi. She had lost both of her sons. But to them, she's still pleasant. She was upset with God because life wasn't fair. But they still called her Naomi. And I've preached this series because I want everybody in this church to know that you have an identity that is bigger than what you have went through. You are who he says you are, not who your hurts say you are. They never called her Mara. They refused to join her pity party. And you know who else didn't? heaven you trying to change your identity because of all the bad stuff that happened to you and you don't realize heaven looks down and says you ain't seen nothing yet I have three reasons why you can't change your identity because of what you went through are you ready for this I have three reasons why she couldn't change her identity and neither can you number one who you are is not a math equation in other words, you, who you are is not the sum total of all that you have lived through. 
Who you are right now, who you are sitting in this building right now or watching by live stream, who you are today is not the sum total of all the stuff that you have went through or all the stuff that happened to you. You cannot allow the accumulation of wounds define who you are right now because I've got an equation for you. God plus me is enough. <laughs> I'm not the sum total of what I went through. Yeah, I got memories. Yeah, I remember the abuse. I remember the sexual stuff that happened to me. I remember the beatings I took. I remember the neglect. I remember all the stuff that was said. But I'm not who that is. I am who he created me to be. And everything that has happened to me has propelled me, pushed me, motivated me, and maneuvered me into what he called me to be. God plus me is enough. I may be sick sometimes, but I'm not invalid. I may get depressed sometimes, but I'm not finished. I may get, get down, but I find my strength in Him. I may struggle for a season, but you hear me. Make no mistake, I'm not done because He's not finished with me yet. What happened to me happened. That's past tense. Only I have the power to bring it into my present reality. I'm doing a whole lot of preaching up here. Number two, what happened to you never changed who he is. See, what happened to, what happened to Naomi happens to a lot of us. We allow what happens to us, the hurt, to distort our view of God. This is what she said. She said, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. What did God do? And I know, I've heard it. I've taught this on Wednesday nights. If you caught the Wednesday night live stream, I taught that the one question I've been asked more than any other, and Barna says it's the number one question people say if they could ever ask God face to face, it's why does bad things happen? We always want to know and blame God for bad things happening. She blamed God for all the death, all the loss, all the suffering, all the hurt. She blamed God. But can I help you this morning? God never stepped off his throne. Do you realize that Elimelech dying and Malon and Chilion dying ruined her day, but not God's? What happened to you made you an emotional cripple? It didn't hurt God. He is still sovereign. He is still Lord. And can I just give you a word this morning, promise of victory? We either believe He is sovereign or He is not. We cannot dance and shout when blessings are coming our way and give Him praise about how good He is when everything is going our way, but then act like He stopped being God when our world falls apart. Because my world falling apart does not equate to my God falling apart. My confidence is in Him. And this is a word for somebody. You've got to get your confidence off of other folks. Because other people are fallible and they are frail. They will disappoint you. They will let you down. And some of them will pass from this life to the next. Put your confidence into the hills from whence cometh your help. Because He will never let you... And last but not least, the third reason you can't change your identity because of hurt is because what happened to you does not change what you're capable of. Everything in my past, I felt like disqualified me from preaching his gospel. God called me to preach. I said, you've got to find somebody else. I was still in my hometown. Them people knew the BC me. I said, God, you got to find somebody else. Find somebody who ain't never got drunk right here in the middle of town and fell off them roosting poles out there with all them drunks. Find somebody that ain't never went to jail from beating people within an inch of their life right here on Main Street and everybody gathered around watching. You got to find somebody else. These people ain't going to listen to me because I felt like what I had been through Dis disqualified me from what I was able to do.
But where you've been doesn't change what you're capable of doing. Naomi means pleasant. Naomi has potential. She didn't know it, but heaven did. She thought she was finished, that nothing good was ever going to happen to her again. But God was not willing to just step aside and let her past contaminate her potential. God knows things about you that you don't know. He knows what you're capable of. Oh, and guess what? He also knows where he brought you from. So he is not shocked, surprised, or tormented by where you've been. Some of y'all come in the house of God and act like you've got to hide your past from him, like he didn't see it. But where you've been has no relevance to what you're capable of. You don't believe me? Look at Psalm 139. This is what David says. He says, oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Does that scare anybody else to death? He's examined my heart. It ain't bad enough he'd get an EKG. But he knows every... I've been married that woman for 27 years, and she don't know everything. She don't know everything. There's some stuff that I keep up here because I'm afraid that if I did put it out here, they'd show up with a white jacket and want to take me in. I'm not supposed to think like that, talk like that, act like that. I mean, there's some stuff up here, and... By the way, you got that too. I know you talk all kind, but sometimes up here it's like, I would slap the taste clean out of your mouth if somebody wasn't watching me. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you're all so pleasant on the outside, but see, that stuff that I don't know, that your hubby don't know, that your wifey don't know, God knows. He said, <laughs> David said, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when they're far, I'm far away. You see me when I travel. You see me when I'm rest at home. You know what I'm going to say? Wow! I think I'm doing good sometimes because I don't tell you what I think. But the Bible says, even though I didn't say it, he knew how close I was to saying it. I want to break my own shoulder blade sometimes patting myself on the back because of how restrained I am because I didn't tell somebody about themselves. But the Bible says God, God knew what I was going to say even though I didn't say it. Wow. Verse 5, you go before me and you follow me. How are you going to get away from a God like that? Huh? Your place, you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge, David said, is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. So that means God knows everything about us. Even when we don't understand ourselves, there is never a time He doesn't understand you. He knows what you are made of. He knows what you can become. He knows what you're capable of. Oh, and by the way, the Bible tells me He knows what I can handle. He knows what he put in me, which is all that he's ever going to require to come out of me. Have you ever saw somebody go through personal tragedy and you say, I don't know how you did it? Have you ever stood at the funeral home? and, and I, Listen, I have, I have had to walk people through some tragedy. Parents burying children is always at the top of my list. I don't know how they do it, and I tell them that. I tell them all the time, I don't know how you do it. Well, the only reason they could do it was because God put something in them because he can't make requirements of you that he didn't put stuff into you to handle. So that's why I don't know how they handled it because he hasn't put that in me. Because he's not required that of me. But rest assured, if I ever had to walk down that road, I have this confidence that he knows what I can handle and he will impart to me whatever it takes to endure what he makes me face. There's a lot of teaching in this word this morning. I hope you're grabbing it. See, the potential in Naomi is revealed. And this is how I'm going to end this message. We're going to go down another road. The potential that God put in Naomi is revealed in her ability to walk out of Moab with Ruth. Let me explain what I mean. Ruth's name means beautiful. 
So you can't always help yourself that you ended up in Moab. But what you can do is determine what you walk out of Moab with. You can walk out of Moab with bitterness or you can grab Ruth and walk out of Moab with something beautiful. The choice is yours. I'm better than this. I was in Moab. I didn't ask to go. I lost my husband. I didn't want it to happen. My children are dead. It wrecked me. It ruined me. I'll never be the same again. But when I come out of Moab, I can bring with me bitter spirits and cursing God. And I can make believe like God's not on his throne. And I can be angry and crude for the rest of my life and shrivel up like a prune and die in a cave of loneliness. Or I can grab something beautiful and on my way out say, life hasn't been easy, but my God is always good. I've got to testify about how good my God is. I'm better than this. I'm better than what I've came through. I'm better than what I have faced down. Do not allow Moab. One trip to Moab should never destroy your destiny. You're better than this. When you come out of the wilderness, you can wear the marks of where you've been or you can refuse to allow the residue to show up in your new reality. It's been tough, but you don't have to carry it out with you. God sometimes does things backwards just so He can receive the glory instead of you. The Bible says He chooses the foolish things. To make the wise scratch their head. Uh -huh. See, sometimes God chooses to bless your failures instead of your successes. We act like God forgets who He's dealing with. He knows you. He knows that you can't handle everything. He knows you're going to mess up from time to time. So the question then that we need to answer before I let you go this morning is how does God achieve what he planted in you, the Bible says, before you were even born. He put purpose and destiny in you before you were even born. So how does God achieve these things that we have failed at so many times? How does he bring you into something that you are scared to even try because you're afraid you're, you're going to fail at it or you're afraid it's going to be too hard? How does God make you see that you stopped short of your blessings that he had for you? Before your mother, or your father, or genetics, or your circumstances ever happened to you, he arrived at your destination that he's calling you to, and he knows exactly what it's going to take to get you there. He blows my mind. Could it be that sometimes God has to pull you out of your current situation so he can direct you into what he's trying to give you? Could it be that what you think is an attack of the enemy is actually a promotion from your father? Could it be that what you think is the devil is robbing you of stuff is actually God taking stuff out of your way? He's sanctifying you and setting you apart for his purpose and his plan. You're complaining about the devil taking that person out of your life and God was saying you don't need them for where you are heading to. God's process of promotion is what I want to end with this morning because when you come out of Moab, you either come out bitter or carrying something beautiful. It's your choice. And depending on how you come out depends on how you come in. God has a process of promotion. And what his process is, is it teaches us certain disciplines and skills and provides us weapons that will bring us into his destiny. Look at David's process. He took a shepherd boy and made him a king. Do you think God made his story up as David went along? Do you think that one day God was like, I'll just make him the next king? No! God knew that David was a king the whole time David was cleaning up after his daddy's sheep. 
David is shoveling sheep dung. And God knows he's a king. God knows that there is a king inside of a boy who is not even remembered by his own earthly father. And the first thing you need to know about God's process is the kind of people that God promotes. Are you ready for this? I'm going to teach you a thing right here. If you want promotion in God, if you want to move out of Moab and become something beautiful for God, you're going to need promotion. The first thing you need to know about God's process is the kind of people he promotes. He promotes people like David. People who chase after him. People who worship desperately. No matter what I go through, I keep showing up down at that altar. No matter how life gets bitter, I don't give up on God. No matter if the baby lives or dies, this is what David said. David said, I formed a child out of iniquity. I committed a sin. I committed adultery. I had her husband killed. And now the baby, God has said, is going to die. I want the baby to live, but God says it has to die. But hear this. I will not stop serving God. No matter how bad this thing turns, no matter how badly my prayers go unanswered, I'm going to keep coming back to the house of God and serving Him. God promotes folks who would rather worship then have a pity party. People who have been so far down that they are afraid of letting go of God's hand. The second thing you need to know about God's process of promotion is that He sees in you what others don't see. David's own daddy wouldn't put David in the line. When Samuel showed up to pick the next king, Samuel's own daddy paraded every son by twice. Before he would even consider David. He had no confidence in David. But that didn't change nothing. Because heaven had already put a destiny on David. And the last thing I need to teach you about promotion. Is despite its name, promotion. That sounds fun. Promotion. Yay. Despite the name, promotion is never easy. As fun as it sounds and as exciting as it sounds, it is never easy. Why? Because it requires discipline. When nobody was willing to face the giant, I mean nobody, 40 days, nobody. 40 days, Goliath stood up and dared somebody. Y'all want some? Come get some. He cursed God, he cursed Israel, he continually put the people of God down, he continually talked smack to Saul, and nobody for 40 days would dare go out and face Goliath. And there's this one little ruddy, red-headed boy named David that says, David, who's a worshiper, not a warrior, by the way, who has only been out keeping sheep, He's, he has never went into battle against a, a man, a grown man, he, he's never, fa he's a worshiper. But only he was brave enough to look a giant in the face and say, I'll fight him. His own brother scolded him. What are you doing here? Ain't that like big brothers? Go home to mama. Get, get out of here. Because David was making him look bad. For 40 days, he could have fought the giant. But he hid in the bushes. He hid in the caves. Now his little brother shows up and says, I'll fight him. His brother scolded him. The king said, you're not big enough for this. You can't even wear my armor. Can I ask you a question before I go on and finish this sermon? If God has told you you can, exactly whose approval are you waiting on anyway? I'm just asking the question because... David had to go through his brother, and then he had to go through Saul. But exactly whose approval do you need when heaven has already earmarked you for greatness? You have to understand something. Those folks that have been to Mara and back, and instead of getting bitter, come out beautiful, brought something beautiful with them, they have been through so much. By the time they get to Goliath, they ain't scared. But they have been through so many difficulties and things that shoulda, coulda, woulda killed them. When they stand up and look at a giant, they say, what are you running away from? 
Don't you know that the same God that delivered me out of the mouth of the lion and the mouth of the bear will give me this foul Philistine's head? See, David's confidence was built when he was alone with God. There's a concept. When he didn't have a Facebook to post on every seven minutes. We didn't have 42 prayer partners patting them down and rubbing them up. When it was just him and God and them alone, and he had nobody else to help him, David had to overcome bears and lions, which prepared him to deal with Goliath. And by the way, I know that story gets all the press, but Goliath was training ground to handle King Saul. Because everything you're going through now is setting you up for what's coming down the road. Now David had to make a choice. Just like you do today. David had to answer the question, have I gone through all these bad days for nothing? Have I suffered all the hurt and pain and loss and agony that I have been through to wind up bitter? Have I faced all these hard times to give up now? Or has God just been training me for something I couldn't think of? And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. Verse 40. David picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his shepherd's bag with his staff and his sling and he started across the what? the what? the valley to fight the Philistine the fight happened in the valley have you ever noticed how the enemy loves to pick a fight when you are down in the valley have you ever noticed that when you're at your weakest point like 10 years away from God when you are in your lowest extreme of your week, your month, your year, your decade, it's at that moment that the devil shows up and wants to pick a fight. You ever notice that it's never when you're standing around dancing at the altar with 47 other people speaking in tongues? That's, he don't ever come looking for a fight then. No, it's when you are in the valley. But what Goliath didn't know and what you didn't know before you walked in here this morning is that God prepares His people in the valley. See, the Bible says that David went into that valley with just a bag, a sling, and a staff. A bag, a sling, and a staff. None of which were effective to bring down a giant. None of which is going to earn him promotion. If all he has is an empty bag, a staff, and a sling, he might as well hide with the rest of Israel. But when he went into the valley, I, 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 only Sister Sarah got it. When he went into the valley, the weapon that released David's destiny was picked up in the valley. He did not find his weapon on the mountaintop. It was down in the valley. As a matter of fact, I come from southern West Virginia. 
big mountains in southern West Virginia. You know what you find at the bottom of all them big mountains? The creeks. Can I tell you that the lower David went, the more powerful he found a weapon to bring down his giant. It, well, it took him being driven way, way, way down to find his weapon. Devil, you thought because I was down, I was done. But what you did not realize was that while I was in the valley, I was collecting some stuff. I was finding strength. I was locating my destiny. I was picking up some overcoming confidence. I was gathering up my determination. And now my bag is full of weapons that's got your name on it. And I'm coming out of this valley equipped to bring down a giant. Promise of victory, you have any idea how many weapons I got in my bag right here? How many giants have forced me into valleys? Make me call my stay overseer, won't quit. Make me call friends, it's over. The devil's won, I don't care. I'm done. You know how many times my own children... Make me want to lay down and die. I feel not worthy of promotion. Defeated, not an overcomer. You know how many weapons I've got in my bag? And I didn't find one of them when we're dedicating buildings. I didn't find one of them when the overseer's calling me, telling me what a great job I'm doing. I gained my weapons when I was picking my son up from the jail cell. I gained my weapons when I was getting phone calls that I thought something was going to happen and it fell apart and people were spreading lies and rumors and might as well have been science fiction they making up about me. That's where I was getting my weapon. And my sack is full of stuff I collected down in the valley. Every time I feel myself descending into the valley, I got to make sure I got my shepherd's bag with me. You know how many rocks I got in this thing? How many times he backed me down into that valley and thought I was just down there crying? I was just down there being defeated. No, 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 no. I was there picking out a rock with that giant's name on it. And devil, don't you worry. I got it in the bag. What happened to me is not nearly as important as what happened in me. I'm better than this. You saw the divorce. You saw me lose the job. You saw him foreclose on the house. You saw me when I was a drug addict. You saw me when I was falling apart, when I was losing my mind, when I was losing my life. That's what you saw. But what heaven saw was me filling my bag. I'm filling my bag. I got victory in this bag. I got an overcoming spirit in this bag. I got more faith than you can shake a giant at in this bag. I wish I had a witness in this church. You didn't pick that stuff up when everything was going good and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna. You put this stuff in your bag when they are crucifying you and stretching you wide and hanging you high. That's when you put your stuff in your bag. It's when everybody's lying and everybody gave up on you and you ain't got no help. You can say, I'm going to come out bitter or I'm going to come out with something beautiful and I'm going to fill my bag with weapons and the devil will regret the day he allowed me to come out of that valley because I got a rock with his name on it. So the next time you feel the devil closing in on you, you just put yourself down as low as you can. And you say, devil, don't you dance on my grave. Because you ought to know that while I'm down here, I'm just filling my bag. I'm putting stuff in here. You're going to regret that you ever drove me this low. Because the stuff I'm picking up down here, 
Oh, I got some good stuff in this bag. I got some good stuff in this bag. You get yourself as low as you can, and you let the devil know, devil, don't you celebrate, because I'm not buried. I've been planted. <laughs> don't you dance on top of my grave, because I'm getting up. And when I do, you're going to regret what you find in this bag. It's going to bring giants. I'm better than this. I refuse to allow where I've been through to show up in where I'm going. Better than this. My past don't determine my destiny. I'm better than this. Somebody need to come up to this altar and fill your bag. Somebody need to get up to this altar and fill your bag. Just get up here and just put your face down to the, to the earth and just, just let, hey, heaven already knows what you're doing. You just tell the devil this morning, I'm, just, I'm filling my bag. I'm filling my bag. This is the Brook Kid drawn this morning. Get out here and fill your bags up. I got a spirit of an overcomer in this bag. I got mountain moving faith in this bag. The devil drove me into the valley. He didn't know he was driving me into my destiny. He didn't know he was driving me into the weapons of my warfare that are not carnal but mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. You should have killed me, devil. Because giants do fall. And I'm coming out with something beautiful. I got tears on my face. I got wounds on my heart. I got some scars. I got some people who still don't like me, still talk about me, still don't believe in me. But I'm coming out beautiful. This is not the end of my story. I'm just gathering up stones. I feel like there's still some folks that need to come up. Maybe up in the balcony and you don't want to make this long trip. It ain't as long as you think it is. Come gather some stones. Hey, the devil's put sickness on your body, tried to kill you. There's healing. There's healing. Don't you, don't you roll over and die. Don't you give up the idea that God's still a healer. Put a miracle in your bag. And the devil will regret the day he ever drove you into that valley. Your marriage has been so bad for so long, you honestly do not see healing for it. I promise you, there is a healing. I promise you, that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Come put it in your bag. And when you come out, mighty is he who trusts in the name of the Lord.